Hello, I'm Alex Hannaford and welcome to Battleground. And I'm producer Pete. Alex, tell us what's coming up in today's podcast. We've chosen to talk about transgender rights. Transgender women. Transphobia. Trans women. Transgender. 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 Transgender people. Transgender individuals. And I know you're going to ask me this. Why is this an election issue? Culture wars. Culture wars, culture wars. The LGBTQ rights movement is seen by Christian conservatives as an affront to their faith. Uh, And this is kind of seeping into the court system. And this is a big issue. It's very much not just Christian conservatives who see this as a huge issue. No, Trump's GOP have embraced this as an issue as well because, you know, they're united. They know that the Christian right are part of their base. And this is an all for one, one for all deal. So, you know, this is something that they are fighting as an election issue. It's been a big thing. And we, we go into some of the issues that it's raised in this podcast. And who are you talking to today to do this? We're talking about these issues with Megan Stabler. And Megan is a friend of mine. She is a British transgender woman who lives in Austin, Texas, where I used to live. She's quite a high-powered executive, business executive, but on the side, she's an activist for LGBTQ rights. She sat on the uh, Obama 2008 leadership circle on LGBT issues. My name is Megan Stabler, and I'm a proud member of the National Board of Directors for the Human Rights Campaign. I am also a proud out transgender woman. I've been marching and lobbying and fighting for LGBTQ rights for over two decades. And you've written about her as well. Tell us a little bit about that. I have. So a number of years back, I wrote a story about Megan um, connected with a phenomenon known as uh, the bathroom bill. Bathroom bills were brought in by conservative politicians in states all across the U.S., who were determined that male and female public bathrooms should only be used by people assigned those genders at birth. The bill would require a person's biological gender to decide which bathroom and locker room they use. Restrictions on what bathroom transgender people can use. Moderate Texas Republicans who were in a full-out fight with the far-right-leaning members of their own party. So the gender on Megan's birth certificate, which was a British birth certificate, was male. So in the UK you can actually change the gender on your birth certificate if you identify as the opposite gender. So Megan realized that there were only two options available to her. She either had to fly back to the UK, which was really costly, and basically go and see a designated doctor or um, do it via Skype and expose herself on Skype to a doctor she'd never met, which is horrifically intrusive and invasive. Not to mention the fact that it ignores entirely what gender identity is. It's not about your sexual organs, as Megan will explain in this podcast. Um, You know, Megan is a transgender woman and her story is compelling. And regardless of which political side you're on, knowledge is power. Find out about transgender people and then have an opinion about it, an informed opinion. I should say when Alex goes a bit quiet during this interview, it's actually because he's crying. (laughs) Um, and not because it's dead air or he's got nothing to say. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty emotional. I mean, actually, a a lot of these interviews that we've done for this podcast series are pretty emotional. I mean, you know, when uh, Craig Spencer talks about coronavirus pandemic and surviving Ebola, I mean, these are tough things to talk about and tough things to listen to. We um, 
first met when I was living in Austin a long, long time ago, a number of years ago. You're a fellow Brit, and we went for a, um, I think we went for a pint in an Irish pub, I recall. That's right. Talked yeah. about how much we miss Cadbury's chocolate and stuff like that. Jack and Gingers. That's where we went. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what, that is what it was. Um, and you told me your very powerful story, which I kind of knew a bit about from Twitter. And I ended up writing about you for the Texas Observer. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get sort of into the kind of the election and politics and um, your story, there was um, something sort of the most profound thing I think that hit me was that we have daughters about the same age. And when politicians in charge of a state that you call home tell you they think you're a danger to children, that you pose a risk using a public toilet, what goes through your head? What are you thinking? Yeah, um, that was a powerful time here in Texas, right, with the bathroom bills. And I think the the impact on me was just how ridiculous the whole political nature of fear is. And that's really what the Texas politicians, uh, mainly on the Republican side, were trying to do, right, which is to drive home wedge issues and saying that trans women are really still men. And regardless of your current status, uh, meaning surgical, um, you should just have everything based off of your birth sex. And therefore, based off of birth sex, men go to men's restrooms, women go to women's restrooms. If you were, and the word we use is assigned male at birth, but you identify as female now, doesn't matter in the state of Texas. They were basically saying, hey, you should still go use the men's restroom, which was the ridiculousness of it all. And then obviously for me as a parent um, with my daughter, it would be, okay, so if she needs to go to the restroom, do I take it to the men's restroom or the women's restroom? Not that I would ever go into the men's restroom, right? I mean, I transitioned in 2004. But it was just the whole ridiculousness of how politics is trying to saddle down the path of divisive nature just to try and pit one individual or one group of people against the other with fear and lies and hysteria and stuff. So... And we're going we're gonna to come into sort of what you did next mm-hmm. uh, a bit later. But let's go back to the beginning. So you, um, I think you were born in Yorkshire. I am Yorkshire through and through, right? Yeah, absolutely. Born in Yorkshire, still a Leeds United fan. Um, <laughs> thank goodness they moved up in the division. So I'm happy about that one. Fast forward to 1990, moved to the States, moved to Columbus, Ohio, then to New York, and then to Austin, Texas. And when you were growing up, did you always feel that you identified as a woman? I knew something was different when I was five or six. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I had a a really intense awareness that something was wrong, but I couldn't identify what it was and I couldn't say to anybody. Some of my best friends were girls. I wanted to hang out with the girls more than the boys, but I did have you know friends that were, were boys as well. Um, but it wasn't until the early 70s when a British tabloid, I can't remember which one, um, came out with a sensational story and it had sex change tennis player. And it was uh, a person called Renee Richards who took on the US Tennis Association for the ability to play tennis in her new gender, that being female. And again, I still didn't realize what it was, but it was like a light bulb going off where I said, oh, that, that kind of is me. But then you go through puberty, you know, you're going to bed at night praying to God that you would wake up a girl and that three things would happen. You wake up a girl, all of your clothes would be girl clothes, 
and your parents would still love you. And then when I realized that nothing was going to change for me, I literally sucked it up and said, well, this is how it's going to be. And so I hid who I am today from everything that was around me and tried to be uber successful in everything else that was I was trying to achieve. And inside, I was dying. I mean, I, I literally every day, it was like, this isn't me, but there's nothing you can do. And so it wasn't, wasn't until a, a lot later on, a couple more decades later, when you look back and you reflect on your life and you think, well, is this something that I can do? So you, you get depressed, you get suicidal. And the pivotal moment for me was literally 9-11. Uh, I was working in New York, uh, living in Long Island and uh, with my then wife and eldest daughter. And 9-11 happened. And I lost some friends. And the, the youngest one was a, a guy called Kevin Williams, who was 26. And, you know, being there at the time and the the smells, the noises, the the sheer drama and terror of the whole thing got me to think afterwards when you're going to memorial services, that's when I was like, you know what, I, I can continue this life and the stress and suppression and everything else, but I can be honest and, and I can be truthful. And But knowing that I was going to be truthful and honest about it knew that the rest of my life was going to change. My marriage would end, my job would end, and a whole bunch of other things. But it was it was that is the pivotal time. I still didn't at that point have the courage to do it. It took me three more years to be able to, to do that and some therapy just to make sure that I was really doing it for the right reason. Is it hard to, I mean, you mentioned uh, having an oldest daughter. I think you've got two, mm-hmm. two daughters. When you sort of look back, do you think of those 20 years between sort of knowing that you wanted to come out as a, a woman mm-hmm. um, until you actually did? Do you look back and sort of, regret that you couldn't have done that earlier or do you look back on that time as look I did what I did and, and I had kids growing up and you know that, that grew up and yeah you can't have any regrets right everything that led to where you are today happened because of a reason and it made you who you are so I don't want to have regrets the the regret that I do have is really for my eldest daughter, who is 27 now, um, because my ex took her overseas when she was, she would have been about 10 or 11, I think. And I didn't see her for a very long time. And so my personal awareness as to who I was, my gender identity, um, was completely new and fresh for them and for my family. And so for my daughter, I worried that that pivotal moment of her puberty and her establishing her identity as a woman, as she's going from a child, um, I missed out on that opportunity to to help mold her or help be around. So I still carry some baggage about did I affect her in some way? My eldest daughter grew up for some part of her life knowing me as him and then seeing me as her. My youngest child has only seen me as her and her mom. Now, as listeners can tell, I've got a deep voice. It can't change. I mean, I wish it could. Um, my voice is my voice. It's the best that it, it can be. I can't change it. And she has recently asked me the question, Mom, why is your voice so deep? And I felt that I had to have that question answered uh, when she was ready. So I explained who I was. And it was, you know, I'm going to try and not get emotional. It was amazing, her response. She hugged me in the pool. She goes, Mama, I love you. And I was like, I know you do. And then she said, because of this whole Black Lives Matter that's going on, she goes, we need to protect transgender people just like Black Lives Matter. 
And that just bowled me over. I was like, wow. I've got an eight-year-old hugging me in a swimming pool who sees me authentically as who I am. Like any kid, they, they're, they're sponges. They're observing and they're listening and they're intaking everything. And so something has triggered her over a while. I see tears in your eyes on this Zoom. But, but isn't that amazing that the kids of today are being more open to it? And that's completely different than it was in 2003 or four. Telling these types of stories, I think, is so important. Let's take a break. Hold on. Uh, kids can read about this stuff. And I remember when Scout read about it and I thought, oh, right, we're ready to have this conversation now. But we, but she read it and it just went, she understood it immediately. Mm -hmm. It was, it, it's weird how kids can just kind of just get it. I don't think it's weird how kids get it, right? I think it's the fact that as, as adults, um, we are the shepherds of our children, right? We had a guide a course for them, and it's what we throw into them that they begin to absorb and learn. So when they're raw, like Scout was, their brain just assimilated and went, yeah, okay, no big deal, right? Because they don't see it that way. And, you know, if we, if we tie it back to the sort of bathroom bill, you've got these adults that because they have had zero exposure to trans people or because of their own phobias in general or because of the way they interpret religious scripture or other things are already beginning to judge and label and other things, you know, other as in quote other things. And therefore they're using that to be prejudiced and to judge and to potentially put laws in place. None of us are born with judgment. It's all learned behavior. So it's a matter of how do you unwrap the judgment from others that are older, but how do you allow a child to go ahead and understand things themselves? You mentioned um, transitioning and you, you, you talked about two years. Um, and I, I think that for people that maybe don't understand that, it, it, it's a process. This is not something where you just sort of turn around one day and say, this is who I really am. That's what... Some of the lawmakers need to understand it's not just you wake up in the morning and say, okay, well, I'm going to be female today or, okay, I'm going to be male today, right? This was something that as I already talked about is a long process for me to come to understand. And then you go to a therapist and then you get evaluated and then you potentially go on hormones. You have to have your blood work measured through an endocrinologist over a long period of time. You may then decide that you want to have some plastic surgery on your face to feminize it more. You may want to have breast augmentation. You may want to again have bottom surgery. Um, to change your Audi for an innie. You know, this is a long process and not everything, absolutely not everything is going to have to be done at the same time or may not be done by all trans people. Um, but it is not an overnight um, wake up and here we go and that's it, right? And so the, therefore I'm assuming that the sort of the happiness you feel or the, the comfort you feel in your own body is not something that happens overnight either. Actually, I'd say the happiness I feel in my body uh, did happen overnight. Once I started living authentically, I'd say that day, day one when I transitioned, it was a feeling of, great, I'm finally here. There's a lot of fear that I had about whether or not it's going to work out or am I going to be fine. And people sometimes ask me, when you had your final surgery, when you had your bottom surgery, that must have been absolutely amazing for you because that's like the final end of the road. And I'm like, no, actually it wasn't. It's like I'd already eating the birthday cake and all the icing, it was just like the candle was left on there that I had to blow out. So the reverse order of a birthday party because I'd already been living for a long period of time as female and my final surgery was just an augmentation of who I was. And so, yeah, whilst it was exciting and it was monumental and it was historic for me and all those things, 
it wasn't like the event. The event was many years before when I actually did transition. And condemn the persecution of women or religious minorities or people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. We do these things not only because they are the right thing to do, but because ultimately they will make us safer. Take me back to, you became involved with the Obama campaign. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I got a phone call asking from one senator if I would uh, be interested in joining his LGBTQ, or actually LGBT at the time, policy committee. And uh, that's what led me working with the Obama administration once we got him into, into office in creating um, the policies that would actually um, work for everybody. So for trans people, for example, it was extremely hard for trans people to get uh, their correct gender marker on a U.S. passport. So it was important for us to look at all the different types of things that we could do through executive orders, which don't need legislation. Today in America, millions of our fellow citizens wake up and go to work with the awareness that they could lose their job, not because of anything they do or fail to do, but because of who they are, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And that's wrong. We're here to do what we can to make it right. Um, and then you skip forward to today where everything has sort of been overturned. So all of those, a lot of those good executive orders that were put in place have been pulled back or rolled back. Um, you know, one of the final things that Obama did, um, obviously was around marriage equality, but for trans people it was about um, trans military inclusion. Uh, he got all the unit chiefs, all the service chiefs who said, yeah, doesn't cause an issue. We're ready. You know, let's go ahead and do this type of thing. And we had trans people identify themselves in the military, join the military, serve in the military, serve in Iraq, serve in Afghanistan, do multiple deployments, all these wonderful things. And then we get another administration that comes in and then through a single tweet says, nope, we're going to ban trans people from the military. And that just puts us all back in this big cloud and haze. In 2017, Trump tweeted, Barring transgender individuals from serving in the military in any capacity, the unexpected move sending folks on both sides of the aisle scrambling, leading many to ask, what comes next? People were, I think, following that, not sure what weight a tweet from the president held. I think the impact of all of that was, what does it mean to the credibility of our military service when you're now allowed to serve, but no, you can't serve anymore, and the patriots people that are there to support, defend the Constitution, our nation, our values, and our laws are now discriminated against um, from actively serving. The good thing that I have seen from my friends that are in the military and that are trans is that their units are still very supportive. They're still getting promoted. They're still being deployed. They're still being used. It is just how are we getting um, new recruits into the U.S. military? You look at other militaries, the UK military has had trans people serving for a long period of time. The Israeli Defense Forces, they've had trans people serving and, and gay and lesbian people serving since 1993. Hmm. And there's multiple forces, Australia, Canada, Spain. I mean, it's, it, it's out there, but the US has taken a backwards approach right now. A brief word from one of our sponsors. Do you get bored with your workouts? If you're looking for a workout that keeps you engaged, learning, excited, and motivated, a workout that's never boring and always challenging, you've got to check out Fight Camp. Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to your living room. They provide all the gear 
and top trainers. Everything you need, in fact, to get great workouts in. The boxing workout's always been ranked as one of the best ways to get in shape, and it's one of the most fun ways to combine cardio and strength training. Fight Camp brings the boxing gym to you with a mix of cardio and conditioning for a full body workout. It comes with all the gear you need, the best freestanding punching bag on the market, great boxing gloves, quick hand wraps, and their unique punch tracking sensors that show you real-time progress and stats on any iOS device. It's great for kids too. Fight Camp offers kids gloves because it's meant to be enjoyed by the whole family. If you're new to boxing, their 12-week starter program teaches you the fundamentals of boxing while you get a great workout in every time. You can access over 400 different workouts for all fitness levels and skills, with four new ones every week. Fight Camp offers flexible financing for as low as 0% APR. And right now, as a limited time offer, you can try Fight Camp for 30 days with their money-back guarantee. Just go to fightcamp.com slash masses, as in huddled masses. That's right, try Fight Camp for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your money. Train like a fighter and turn your sweat into results. To try Fight Camp for 30 days, go to joinfightcamp.com slash masses. Late yesterday, the Trump administration completed a change to the Affordable Care Act, rolling back a policy that protected transgender patients from discrimination. This new What's Trump's issue? Is he, do you think he really cares or is he trying to appease certain people? I wish I knew. I mean, I think part of it is ignorance. I think part of it is appealing to a very small minority of base that are um, inherently prejudiced against people that are other than they are, that they want to see a certain way of life. And I think it's ill-informed, especially with the, and I don't want to put anybody down because of their religion. I mean, we have the First Amendment here, so you're entitled to your religious beliefs. Um, but it's been co-opted by the evangelical movement, uh, very much so. You've got Mike Pence, you've, you've got Pompeo with his religious beliefs and others, right? Um, they've started to sort of change it to be this, in quote, Judeo-Christian belief system that they have. And therefore, if you are other, if you're different, you're not going to be included. Um, they'll say, no, you are. You've got four religious beliefs, but they want to impose their religious beliefs on others. What are we doing with immigrants to the company? What are we doing with people that are socially, economic, less than others? So, you know, culturally minorities, black, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, etc. They're just against everything that is non-white in my mind. And that is the absolute problem that we have because the fabric, the texture of America is a rich tapestry of diversity and it is changing. And I think they're trying to hang on to what it was and not create a vision of what it can be if we all came together. But, but at the same time, culturally, would you agree that there's more awareness of transgender issues despite what's happening? People are seeing it more. And because they're seeing it more, they're accepting it more. They're seeing the flags, the rainbows, the fact that we are in society. And I think that's happening true for trans people too, that we're putting ourselves out there. You know, After I transitioned again in 2005, you've got... Laverne Cox in Orange is the New Black. You've got um, Angelica Ross in, in Pose and all these wonderful things that are coming up. Or you've, you've got um, Janet Mark who finally came out, you know, having been an editor of a big magazine. And you're seeing these great celebs. And then you also have, you know, the Caitlyn Jenners of this world too. But you see these people that are the name celebs coming out and that gives the opportunity for the kids of this world to say, oh, 
I could be that too, because I'm feeling that way and I have an opportunity to go do this. Are there any t- TV programs that you've, you've sort of dramas and stuff that you think have got it really right? Not yet. That's a good question. The media has traditionally portrayed trans people as prostitutes, drug addicts, or homicide victims, right? You go back to SUV uh, and all these types of shows. We, we've been traditionally shown that way. Um, but I do think when you look at um, what Netflix has done amazingly well with some of their shows. Uh, you know, I mentioned both of them, right? Orange is the New Black, Pose. Spanish been saying how you still got your dick. That true? What you got between your legs is your business and what I got is mine. What exactly is it that you're trying to say? I'm no dummy. I work in the city and I know a man pretending to be a woman when I see one and I see three right in front of me. This is not that kind of establishment. Wait a minute. I think we've got a long way to go. There have been other movies in the past where, where straight cisgender actors have tried to play trans people. Think about um, trans Transparent. And, you know, transparent, thank you, and those ones, right? Um, we need trans people to share the lives uh, and to share the narratives and the stories because we, we are the best ones at telling our story and our pain and our fear than, than others. Um, I was going to ask you this later, but I think it's pertinent. So in recent years, there's been sort of big publicized debate between transgender rights activists and traditional feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and J.K. Rowling has, has kind of waded into this. A series of controversial tweets about trans in women. In particular what it means to be a woman. Growing accusations of transphobia. And by her response to an online article that referred to people who menstruate. Can you explain what that's about? I mean, this, this specifically applies to, to bathrooms, right? Yeah, it, it, well, it's, it's not just bathrooms, but it's trying to define, well, you can't be a woman if you don't have ovaries and a uterus, right? And therefore, if you have not had ovaries or a uterus, you are not female. Therefore... If you're assigned male at birth and now you uh, have transitioned to be female, you are technically not female because you're still male, right? That's the whole crux of the conversation that is going on. And again, it's, it's all down to biology. For celebrities and people to weigh into issues because, again, of fear, prejudice, misunderstanding, whatever it is, they need to really get to know people. And there has been an ask out to JK for a long time meet with trans people, understand who we are. There is a difference between sex and gender, sex being below who you get to go to bed with at night versus how you identify between your brain. And to your point earlier on, this is not something that you wake up overnight thinking about and say, okay, well, tomorrow I'm just going to be female and that's going to be it. It is a deeply inherent um, belief. So it, it, is, it is something that unfortunately continues with the fe- some of the feminist movement. Not all. It's just a subset of it. Does that make you feel, does it make you feel when someone like J.K. Rowling wades into it and does this damage? Do you feel that, you know, some days you wake up and think, God, it's two steps forward, one step back? Yeah. That is the world of progress anyway, right? Whatever it may be. It, it's always two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes you're going to make significant progress one day. And then just as like, you know, like we saw with the, the, the change in politics here in the U.S., you know, we see a, a bunch of other things happen that, that takes us back. And it's, it's life, unfortunately, in society and politics is just like a rubber band, right? You're going you're gonna to stretch it out so far and then eventually it's going to snap back and you're going to stretch it out a little bit more because it's got more elasticity in it. And it's going to snap back a little bit more. But it gets 
progress continues, right? And it's sort of that it does bend. We're eventually going to get full equality as more people see either who we are as trans people or who we are as LGBTQ people. I want to know how this impacted you. I, I want to know what you, where you were um, and what you did when you heard this. So the US Supreme Court affirmed... It's ruled that employers who fire workers for being gay or transgender are breaking the country's civil rights laws. What was striking about this was that a Trump appointee, Neil Gorsuch, wrote for the majority. An employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. You know, for me, it was just affirming. But the, the, here's the problem that we have from it. We have a, an affirmation from the US Supreme Court that we are covered, sexual orientation, gender identity is covered in that. It's how does that filter down to the rest of society that we're covered, right? We, we opened up talking about employment and issues and bathroom bills, right? Those things are still going to be pushed through in my mind in the next ledge sessions. You know, Texas ledge session is every two years, starts again in 2021. I'm sure there are going to be anti-LGBTQ bills that are introduced because of this fear, right? And, and we also have to really understand and expose, and, and it isn't written about in the media a lot, that there's normally only a couple of groups that are anti-LGBT groups. They're really writing a template for a law and they push it out through legislators um, in different states and they test it to see if it works. Is it going to work here in Kentucky if we use this? Great. Well, now we have this template and the wording. Let's go push it to Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, and push these anti-trans, anti-LGBT bills through. So, we need to expose who these organizations are and what they're doing, right? Um, but we have the Supreme Court ruling. That is a wondrous thing. That is something that is not going to change, but it now is a matter of how do we distill it down into everything else? I mean, is there something that can be done proactively or is it literally a game of whack-a-mole? It's a game of whack-a-mole. Mm. It's a game of whack-a-mole because... Well, the proactive stuff is what we talked about. We've got to be able to share our stories so that more of our neighbors and friends and coworkers um, can stand up for us, right? You know, I mentioned the schoolyard, right? Put yourself in the schoolyard. You're with your friends. The bully comes over and beats the snot out of you. What do you hope your friends do? They probably stand around and watch what happened the first time. But if it continues, they may actually try and stop the bully. We need the friends and the neighbors to stop the bully from coming into the schoolyard and beating up people and tell them, you're just ridiculous, what would a Biden America look like for transgender people? Amazing. I was um, appointed to the DNC, the Democratic National Committee Policy Committee, the Standing Platform Committee. The platform in a draft format was inclusive of LGBTQ people. So I got through 26 amendments, all of which were accepted into the platform. So the platform itself is going to be the most robust, comprehensive platform, progressive in U.S. politics, the Biden-Harris platform is progressive, it is forward-thinking, it is inclusive. It was that Stonewall recently who had the courage to risk not only their jobs and their futures, but in many cases their physical security and safety. That's, they're the people we owe a gigantic debt of thanks to. And what if um, Trump's re-elected? How easy is it to apply for a Canadian passport? <laughs> Do I need my birth certificate for that one? Internally for the U.S., for LGBTQ people, it would embolden um, his supporters. And I don't just mean his voting supporters, but I mean the 
evangelical crowds and those hidden groups I mentioned before that push through legislation to try and bring forward the potential to overturn marriage equality because, hey, it's not in line with biblical principles as I read it, so I'm going to overturn this law. This series looks at the divisions in American society and uh, ways that we can come together. Do you have hope at this point in history that we can do this? Yeah, I do. I sincerely do. I think it's going to take time. I'll, I'll use that elastic band, rubber band analogy. I think it's all got to stretch and snap and get a little bit more relaxed and stretch a little bit more and relax. I, I think it's pitiful that we think, you know, we talked about the Civil Rights Act. We've just lost wonderful Congressman John Lewis, who did the walk over the Selma Bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and got beaten. And then you fast forward to 2020 and what is happening in America, right, with, and other countries too, with Black Lives Matter, the systemic, and it is systemic racism that is here, whether it's conscious or unconscious bias that people have. I think when you look back at history, you see that there's always been times like this when there are people that are shouting and screaming for equality, and eventually it comes and it happens. And I think that for America in particular, with those that are very far right, those that are deeply rooted in racism, deeply rooted in their belief that the only good America is is a return to sort of the 1950s America where there was segregation and stuff, they're going to die off, right? They are the minority today. They're just a very vocal minority. Y'all in the media play a part of this, right? Because we need to lift up the richness and the creativity when all cultures and values come together as one and not always shine a spotlight on the divisions, whether it's from what was going on in Portland, which was a microcosm of issues, or what's happening for bathroom bills here in Texas. We should shine a spotlight on trans people that are successful and empowering and show that we're capable members of society like anybody else, and we shouldn't have to prove it, but unfortunately we do. We need to be shining media light on the goodness of this tapestry, as I called it, of America, and not on the charred threads that seem to be around it sometimes. Megan, that was amazing. Thank you so much for chatting for an hour. It's been brilliant to talk and catch up, and it'd be good to see you again soon. Ditto. I will, uh, I will do my best to think about making it up to, to New York to see you once COVID is over. And you can bring some pickled onion monster munchies when you do. I'll do that. And you know, you're always welcome back here in Texas when the weather cools down to the <laughs> high 80s or something like that. So <laughs> exactly. you're always welcome. But thank you for inviting me on. And I, cool. I wish you all the success with this too. All right. Take care. That was Megan Stabler talking to me from her home in Austin, Texas. In the early days of Trump's presidency, you heard a lot about transgender rights and it almost kicked off the, the culture war that we've heard so much about in the last few years and, and, and what we're exploring in this series. Haven't these issues sort of fallen off the back burner a little bit? It might seem they have, but this, look, this is a key issue for evangelicals and we know evangelicals voted for Trump in larger numbers than they voted for George W. Bush. You know, in June, the Supreme Court may have ruled that the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects gay, lesbian, and transgender employees from discrimination based on sex. But I don't think that 
the left can get complacent. You know, conservatives are about to confirm or try to confirm a new justice following Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. It's worth pointing out that when we interviewed Megan, this was before Ginsburg died. And Justices Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, who are two conservative justices, have suggested that the court must overturn Obergefell and Hodges, which recognize same-sex marriage in order to preserve what they said was religious liberty in the United States. So, you know, watch this space, Pete. And talking of watch this space, how is this issue going to affect the election in a couple of weeks? Well, I think evangelical Christians. Trump knows that this resonates, that that abortion, that same-sex marriage and Supreme Court resonates with his evangelical base. And so he's just, as far as he's concerned, he knows he's got to keep um, his foot on the gas. Um, You know what I'm going to say now, Alex? That's enough for now. Indeed it is. All right. See you next week. See you next week. Battleground is presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Our theme music is Three Girls Sitting Across the Bar by Hidden Twin. Special thanks once again to Megan Stabler for her interview today. Battleground is a DMT media production for Audioboom.